Welcome to the ANCDS podcast. My name is Michael Beal. I'm an associate professor at California State University, Northridge, and a speech-language pathologist at UCLA Medical Center. On social media and when teaching, it's common to see questions about the clinical fellowship year. I thought it might be useful and interesting to talk to therapists who are either in their clinical fellowship year or who had just completed it. So back in October 2019, I had this conversation with Nayeri Adesian, Hilary Unclaude, and Zach DeWall about their recent CFY experience. Zach, Hilary, Nayeri, welcome to the ANCDS podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, good to be here. Yes. Yes. Uh, before we get started, how about if everyone, um, maybe we'll start with uh, Nayeri, then Hilary, then Zach, just say where you're at, um, where you're at in relationship to your um, CF. Sure. Um, so I graduated from Cal State Northridge, uh, spring of 2018. And I currently work in an outpatient private practice where we exclusively see adults. Um, so I have a pretty neurodiverse population that I'm treating. And I just got my full license, my C's, in September. Congratulations. Thank you. Hi, I'm Hillary. Uh, I also graduated from Cal State Northridge in spring of 2018 and started my clinical fellowship at the West LA VA August 6th, 2018. And it's a year-long fellowship, so I finished uh, August 6th this year and was hired on. So uh, I got my C's in September and am currently a full-time speech pathologist at the West LA VA. And our setting is, it's an inpatient hospital, but we see everything from um, people in acute rehab, outpatients and inpatients, both swallowing and cognitive, linguistic, voice, the whole range. And you even have a nursing home there. Yeah, we do have a nursing home and we have a rehab for substance abuse, so tra more traumatic brain injury yeah. um, kind of orientation. Right. And an ALS clinic, it's, it's quite very diverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zach. Yeah, I'm, uh, I graduated from Vanderbilt in uh, summer 2019, so just a couple months ago, um, and started my CFY at the outpatient rehab center within Vanderbilt um, at the end of August, so about two months into that, with also a very neurodiverse population from cognitive language, um, a lot of cognitive, actually, so, yeah. 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 Um, let's just start generally, uh, Nairi, Hillary, you've, you've finished your CFY. Was it what you expected, right? In other words, when you were a graduate student, I'm sure you heard people talk about, um, what that experience was like, maybe. Was it what you expected? You know, I have to say, even having the opportunity, uh, to get the CF position that I was able to get was quite challenging all on its own. Yeah. Um, it's hard to find uh, a position that's available uh, that would accept someone who exclusively wants to see adults. Um, so that was 
all on its own, anxiety provoking. But as far as the actual experience, I went to, I went into it, I think probably with different expectations of myself, thinking that I may have had a better grasp than I did when I first started on just understanding diagnoses um, and understanding treatments that are available. So in that sense, it was uh, pretty difficult to kind of come to this realization of I'm probably not as prepared as I thought I would be. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, so can you just tell me a little bit more about the ways in which you thought you were, I guess, as you say, more prepared than you were? Um, as you know, for Cal State Northridge, you take these comps mm-hmm. um, and you pass the comps for uh, competencies in, in all areas mm-hmm. of speech language pathology. Um, for example, I work with people with aphasia right. and even just understanding and being able to classify what type of aphasia does this person have is all on its own. It's a, its own journey and understanding the characteristics, error yeah. types, basic terminology. Um, applying theory into practice was probably still is a, a very big challenge and transition from the school setting to then the clinical practice setting. Yeah. And I know yeah. it's, sometimes I'll see people posting on social media, um, people who are in their CF kind of anonymously complaining that their program didn't prepare them um, for the, for the job they were, you know, asked to do. I don't think that's uncommon. And I, I think that it's not just about the quality of the programs. It's about how much content you can get into a, a, a master's degree program, let's say, and just how diverse and complex the, the job is. Yeah. Hillary, what was, what was your experience? I'm not quite certain if I recall what I was expecting, but it was a lot different than what I had anticipated. And I think, you know, I had been fortunate to have a lot of a variety of experiences in a private practice. I worked at the USC Voice Center as an intern, um, briefly at UCLA as an intern. And I don't think that I was prepared for the amount of cognitive load it would take not only to process like new information and being a clinician and having a caseload that was my own, that was a little different from when you're an intern um, or an extern, whatever term you want to use, um, plus the cognitive load of learning a whole new system, like how, you know, just from like how to input notes or set patient appointments or to chart review and where to find the information in the given system, plus our own patient at the VA, we have a very specific way to that we track patients because we see so many patients to like answering consults and, you know, kind of just managing how a system works, how to be successful in that system took probably like a good six months. Um, And so even though I'd had some experience with that, I had seen CS like at USC go through their process and learn a whole new system. I don't think I gave myself enough credit or space um, or time to kind of be like, oh, this, I just like, it's going to take some time to learn the system plus process like a whole different populations of patients that we're working with. And so 
I think that was pretty stressful and I had high expectations of myself and um, those two things didn't go well together, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like the expectations I had of myself of being a good student, of having done well in classes, of having done well in externships um, and then being in a new setting and new environments with um, with a lot to process and being okay with being new yeah does that make sense it does and i mean it, and i it just to me it you know it's there's kind of a double whammy there right you're coming in and as you say there's this system you have to learn electronic whatever the mm -hmm. electronic medical record system is that you use right. billing on top right. of you know just starting to really understand what you're doing clinically um yeah, yeah that I stress out about still trying to understand the medical record system <laughs> of where I work. Um, and uh, um, so that's stress enough, much less kind of being new at what you're doing. Zach, how, you're, you're pretty, you're at the beginning of your CF, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I like hearing the two of you describe it is so nice to hear. Cause that's exactly what I'm feeling. And like, you know, with also the fear of like talking about it openly of like, gosh, am I doing this right? You know, and all the sort of pressure that you put on yourself too, of expecting, expecting myself to be really good and hoping myself to be really good. And then being like, am I doing good? <laughs> Is this what I should be doing? Um, yeah. So, so hearing it, you know, is that's a, that's a load off immediately. It's just to know that we're all feeling that, you know, even after a year, even after getting into the seas. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Nairi, is it, is it, is it, um, now that you have your seas, is it easier or harder? It's easier um, in terms of, what Hillary said, you know, as far as learning a system, learning how to do electronical medical records and whatnot. And it's harder in a sense because I feel there's a little bit more pressure and responsibility, and that's a transition. I think going to work and enjoying what you're doing is a challenge when you have low confidence. Um, and I think starting off in the beginning, the clinical fellowship experience kind of tests your confidence level. And I found myself criticizing uh, uh, myself of, you know, am I doing this correctly? Are my patients satisfied? I feel like I'm in the, I'm this imposter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, can they notice it? And, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I found myself becoming more transparent, yeah. which is really challenging too. But I did it mindfully with the idea of if my if some of these patients are aware that, you know, this is a journey that you and I are both on, there seems to be a level of trust that starts to develop. Mm. And in that sense, it got a little bit easier, uh, just being a little bit more open and honest, 
not with, you know, letting patients know I'm completely incompetent, but (laughs) but letting them know, you know, this is what I do know and I'm confident in what I don't know. So perhaps we can even explore it together. Right now, that seems to be helpful. And how do, how do, how do your patients respond when you, let's say I'm, what I'm hearing is, is that you kind of might openly acknowledge to your clients that, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at the beginning of this career. And so, um, I don't have all the experience that some other therapists do. So I might not have an answer for you right away about mm-hmm. something. Is that kind of when you say being transparent with your clients, is that what you mean? Yeah. If perhaps if they ask a question and if I don't know the answer immediately, I'll ask them for that permission of, you know, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, if you give me some time to look up some information, then perhaps we can reapproach or uh, and talk about it in our next session. And most often than not, they're pretty okay with it. And, and I think some of the questions they ask, what I find is when I go ahead and ask my colleagues or I do some research mm-hmm. on that question, more often than not, my colleagues with way more experience tend to not know the answer either. So then that opens up another talk that I can have with my patients of, you know, what does rehabilitation mean to you and how much do we know in our own field and our literature that we can set the premise, the foundation of what to expect in therapy as far as improvement. Right. Um, Does that make sense? I I hope it does. It makes sense in my mind. Yeah, (laughs) no, it it absolutely does. And um, I think I have to go back a long way to remember my CFY, but I do remember having this sense that, um, how do I put it? That there are people out there that had the answer, um, so to speak, that that there are this group of people that they knew what they were doing. <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know what I was doing, but but maybe everybody else knew what they were doing except for me. But right. for sure that there were, you know, people who were just very confident. Um, and uh, and I, of course I wanted that. And before you, I mean, do you think any of your patients e- even notice that you're inexperienced? I don't know. I probably not. They they notice I'm I'm younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Hillary, I, I saw you know. shaking your head. No, no, they don't. No, I think you know, uh, patients come to us. They are so involved in their own process and what's happening for them that they're grateful for any possibility or hope that that may that there may be some change in their current status or just some guidance in where they're at and so yeah I mean I find that it um, they don't really care or notice they're just happy that there's some possibility um, and, and somebody to process with and to talk to and to help guide them in this change that's happening in their lives or has been going on for a period of time. Um, I think of one patient I have who was with another therapist before me, he's been coming for a, a while and he's like, just don't give up on me. Like, <laughs> and I mean, 
and it, they're, it, it's just as it's humbling that you know that they're really just happy to have somebody. My experience is that they're happy to have somebody that's part of their team and and working directly with them. Um, yeah. So I'm not even sure experience is on there. And maybe for some patients. I mean, th there have been patients that come in and are like, are you a fellow? Like, how much do you know? What experience do you have? And that's an important part to them. And that comes a conversation. But for the most part, I think um, patients don't yeah. think about that. Yeah, I don't know that the clients really have much of a basis to judge whether the treatment we're applying is appropriate or not. It seems that they know when they're not being treated right. They know when we're not listening to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, those kinds of things, but uh, I don't know. Zach, what, what's your experience been so far? Yeah, a lot of the, the self-doubt sort of aspect and, and trying not to, to put off inexperience, you know, trying to really prepare and over-prepare for every session, you know, mm. immediately following the session, you know, planning for the next week, and then kind of sporadically throughout the week, looking again at that plan and making sure that it's really ready and revising it and then revising the revision, you know, to, to go in with, with the confidence in at least what I have planned. Um, and then the, the only feedback I've really gotten from patients has been good, positive, like, this is so helpful. Or like, we really like coming and seeing you, you know, like, yeah. and I'm always surprised <laughs> and I'm always mm -hmm. like, Oh, good. Tell me that again. Tell me that next week too. Like, just keep saying that because that's what I need to hear right now. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's that's been my experience thus far. Yeah. So is your has your strategy been to kind of over? Oh, I mean, I don't know if one can over prepare, quite honestly. But are you kind of preparing until you feel like okay, I'm at a certain level of comfort here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and going through, you know, trying to predict what direction it could go, you know, mm. well, if, if that's not where we go, then what else could they say? Let's prepare for that as well. Um, and, you know, just learning at such a rapid rate right now that like, by the time that I revisit it the next week, I've learned a lot and there is a lot to revise, you know, which has been another aspect of it too, a positive one, but still, cognitively exhausting <laughs> yeah yeah moving at that pace yeah so How definitely you know over preparing for sure and like preparing for a one-hour session with probably three hours of material <laughs> and getting in there and getting through about 15 minutes worth of material right well how do you how do you find the time to do that um i'm allowed that time right now oh. like i am i am very i understand very blessed in that regard and some days are, are rapid and uh, there is no time. And it's, you know, I, by the time I get home, I'm, I'm asleep on the couch, but um, other days I'm, I'm allowed that time to, to plan and talk, talk to colleagues, talk to my supervisor, you know, work through it. Yeah. Not everybody gets that. No, <laughs> I, I would say, you know, 
I don't know how much time you're being given, but I think a lot of CFs, whatever time they have to prepare is after hours. Yeah. Time. I don't know. Nairi, Hillary, was that? I mean, Go ahead, Hillary. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I relate, Zach. Like, I think I feel a lot of confidence, even if the session doesn't go how I've planned, but I've put in the time and energy. And I think one of the challenges of my CF was there was there wasn't that. It's, yeah. We'd get consult for an inpatient language eval, and I would have literally two minutes to prepare. And at the VA where I was, it's a one-to-one -one supervision, so I'm 100% supervised mm -hmm. during my CF. Um, which is great, but it also like adds this added element of like, oh, I'm going to be watched when I'm doing it. Oh, yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah, there was no, there was, I would show up and it would be like, here's the patient you're seeing and here's the thing we're trying to figure out and what's the plan. Mm -hmm. And and it was really challenging. And it was that whole imposter syndrome would come up and I'd like be fighting that while, you know, figuring out my assessment approach in the moment and you know, processing all of that information and and yeah, so there it was it was a challenge in that there was no time to prepare and it was like go time and you know intermittently that would change like sometimes I'd have an outpatient and I would know a week ahead of the time yeah. who was scheduled and would be able to input a little bit of time and usually and always time after hours never time during the day um, to plan for that but it I think it, the the benefit to that was that it made me very flexible. Um, forced flexibility <laughs> mm. um, and it made me good about at making quick decisions and um, and being okay if it was maybe not the best assessment or the best um, choice for that moment but you know knowing that that I tried something and then that was informative for whatever the next follow-up session would be with that patient um, and you know I've been cutting out a little bit but I, I know we've been talking about confidence level and that was a consistent, that was probably the most consistent feedback. I had six supervisors and across the board, their advice to me was, you need more confidence in what you're doing. And I think that's such a, it's, it's really hard, something hard that's kind of, it's just challenging to find when you're new at anything. And in some situations, it lends itself to being, you know, transparent with your patient, like, here's where I am, we're working together. But in other situations, like when you walk in to do a swallow eval <laughs> and you're doing a bedside swallow eval, I remember like when I first started, I really wanted to defer to my supervisor because I was one-to-one -one supervision. And I would always be like, what do you think? Is that a good choice? And the patient is right there. And my supervisor was like, you you got to pretend at least. you got to pretend. <laughs> but like, I wanted to be thoughtful to my supervisor and like not make a mistake. And, and that was something I battled with throughout my whole fellowship. And I think in reflecting back on it, um, I think that I would have, yeah, I, I guess I wish I would have claimed a little bit more of, uh, my confidence in myself and I think then my supervisors would have had more confidence in me because it had always been my kind of life philosophy to be like oh you know, there's always so much that I don't know that I know I don't know and I'm going to defer to other people who know more than me and by doing that I really I think um, prevented some some of my own 
or I, I made things take longer. Like I made my own independent. I don't know if that's making any sense actually, but anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I if, if you're, I mean, obviously as a CF, you have to lean on your supervisor some, but um, I mean, when I hear uh, SLPs, let's say kind of, complaining about a student or a CF, it seems like there's like these two poles. There's the the CF who needs constant positive reinforcement that what they're doing right. is right. And, and, you know, I suppose in the worst case scenario, they would be called needy, right? And then there's the, the opposite end, which is the person who kind of thinks they know more than they really do um, yeah. and doesn't and doesn't listen to feedback. Um, you know, I, I most definitely, you'll hear people kind of complaining about student CFs who kind of exist on those two ends of the spectrum. And so there is kind of a sweet spot, it seems, there. Mm -hmm. um, Nairi, if, if you don't mind, I happen to know that that you you reduced your hours. I did. Recently. I did reduce my hours. I was lucky enough to. Um, yeah. I know not everybody has that opportunity. Um, I was beginning to burn out. I, um, if it felt like burnout. Um, mm. One in LA, you drive a whole lot to get to work, <laughs> and that yeah. was. Right. A contributing stress factor to my daily life. But also, um, I burned out in the sense of going back to what Hillary was saying, not having enough confidence. And I think it became the cycle of the self-ruminating thoughts of, oh my gosh, I'm just not good enough. What did I do? Why did I come into this field? How <laughs> Who was <laughs> I to think I can help someone? Um, yeah. And uh, a lot of it is, I think starting off as a novice clinician, you're bringing your own personal baggage um, to to and and into your involvement with your caseload. Um, at least from my experience, that's what I was beginning to experience, and it was hard to kind of shut off after work, um, coming home and thinking about my patients and what could I have done? Did I do the assessment properly? Um, is my report going to reflect a true representation of this patient's difficulties um, and a lot of time pressure management. So one way to help increase my confidence a little bit was by reducing my hours so that for the days I do have off, I can commit to community-based groups that I've had an interest in developing and also just allowing myself the time to actually read about my patients. Um, and whether it's to read about theories or treatments, um, but just giving myself a little bit more time mm -hmm. and com self-compassion of, okay, it's going to take a while. And, and one of the, you know, a lot of the mentors that I've had, um, one of the best feedback I've gotten was, you know, 30 years into this practice, I still have so many questions and I'm still not as confident as I portray that I am. And, and honestly, just hearing that has truly helped me as a cl 
novice clinician of, okay, so maybe this is what this field entails, um, is are clinicians that can allow the time to be a little bit more self-reflective and whatnot. Yeah. And, and as you kind of allude to, you know, there are limits to what we know, uh, clearly about how to help people, certainly how to help them as much as they want us to help them. That's, to me, that was always a big stressor. You know, many of my clients, they want to be normal again. And I think that that takes some adjusting to um, learning how to navigate that territory. Is reading different now than when you were, you said you, you take time off to read is is reading different now than when you were a graduate student? Absolutely. I'm way more scatterbrained now. Because <laughs> um, I delve into this topic and then other questions start to pop up in my mind and I find myself digressing a, a whole lot. And um, learning how to come up with a strategy of what's worth reading and mm-hmm. what should I read that I can apply into my practice almost immediately. <laughs> um, has been a challenge, but in a way, I, I find myself reading, going back to my notes from from graduate school as well. Mm. So it really kind of just depends, but there is a little bit more of a strategy of what to read. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I always felt like as a clinician, reading just was so much more interesting than when I was a graduate student, you know, maybe it was just the, the kind of the real tangible sense of purpose. Yeah. There. Um, and you can actually picture the patient, you know, the picture of the, of the patient that matches exactly what they're talking about. Hopefully. Um, yeah. But having it something to apply it to rather than this sort of imaginary future where I will use it has been helpful. Yeah, I don't even know how much I enjoyed graduate school. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a therapist, but um, I always felt like I wanted to like it more than I actually did. And I think that thing that was between me and and liking it more was it was abstract. It was there was something mm-hmm. disembodied about it. I and then of course there's that whole thing about you know being tested constantly and and really not having much freedom, so to speak. Nairi, Hillary, you have freedom now. Zach does, still doesn't have freedom. Shoot. <laughs> 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 um, if you don't mind, I just wanted to revisit some of the things that we were just talking yeah. about, kind of surviving the clinical fellowship. And mm. I didn't, I just really wanted, and my husband was like, you should just go part-time like during my clinical fellowship. Mm. But I found a lot of great resource in helping manage that kind of ruminating thought of I'm not good enough. I sought out at first, I got some anti-anxiety meds for a short period of time that were immensely helpful. Uh, Um, And then I saw a therapist and I learned something that I probably was needing to learn my whole life and I'm still learning, but how to be kind of my own cheerleader and to, you know, I was really looking for external uh, reinforcement for my supervisors because I think in grad school you do you get a lot of feedback a lot of it's positive or strength-based feedback and that's not always the situation 
in a supervision setting. And so um, I was finding I was having a hard time receiving critique because I'm so hard on myself. That critique on top of my own self-critique was really um, depressing <laughs> and and hard to stay motivated and I was burning out. And so um, I think kind of helping myself celebrate my own wins, however small they were, like, oh, I felt a little more confident in that session, or wow, I was really able to connect with the patient, or oh, like, you know, just small things. That note took me a lot less time to write this time, and I was able to synthesize my thoughts a little better. Like, learning to celebrate these small little victories and not relying so much on external feedback and allowing my supervisors to play their role of helping shape me into a better clinician by critiquing me. Um, yeah, I think that therapy and helping reshift my own mind around how I viewed myself was really essential in surviving mentally and becoming a better clinician. Um, yeah, that sounds really smart. I mean, that noticing something, you know, I won't say trivial, but a small thing like this progress note, hey, it didn't take me nearly as long to write. Um, right. I guess evolving as a clinician is lots and lots of little moments or growths like that with an occasional seismic shift, maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that seismic shift, I think, comes with time. Like, I think time-based notes are kind of one example. Like when I first started, it took me a long time to write an assessment and then you know, over time, I, it gradually improved. And then suddenly it feels like a seismic shift when it doesn't take like 10 minutes. I mean, whatever time base it is. But I think those seismic shifts come from these tiny little moments that for the most part in our lives, we're taught not to celebrate or to recognize or, you know, have trained ourselves maybe not to see as much. But um, I felt, found that they became really important to recognize for my own mental well-being. Yeah. 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 And... I just want to add to some of the comments Hillary was making. Um, thinking of being open and honest with yourself, um, what I also found to be helpful was being open and honest with your peers that are also speech-language pathologists. Um, many times I feel you may be the only CF in your facility. and. For me, for a few months, it was quite lonely uh, to, you know, to, to feel like, am I the only one that's going through this? My other peers from my cohort are probably doing amazing things, and uh, they got a grasp on things. And to slowly find out, just by opening up a little bit, that that's not the case. We're all kind of struggling together. Um, it, it helps build confidence for sure. And, and this feeling of I'm, I'm not alone. I can, you know, I can relate to other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you, you have this cohort of, at least in mine of 24, 25 people that are going through it with you. And this class is hard. You know, I don't understand this. This is crazy, you know, all the way through for two years. And then all of a sudden, in my case, it's just everybody's gone. <laughs> that whole support <laughs> network is like, exactly what you're talking about of, well, I'm, I'm just alone here, you know, as, as the lone CF in, in my, mm. in my place, but so yeah, you, opening up and, and getting, you know, allowing the support from 
my colleagues now, you know, who have the years of experience, but opening up and, and sharing that aspect of what I'm going through, not just, you know, certainty regarding patients or advice regarding certain treatments or assessments, but also like, I'm feeling this today, like any thoughts, you know, and they yeah. usually do like, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Give it, give it five more years and you'll feel better. Like, good. <laughs> well, Zach, I mean, you're against so your new and in, into your CF, you know, wasn't that long ago you were a, a student and a student clinician. Is it much different? Is it feel different being a CF from let's say being an extern, a student clinician? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You still have that supervision, but in, in my case, it comes in a lot more when I, when I request help, when I request feedback, you know, there's a really tough case, you know, how are, how should I be tackling this just by what I've looked at within the chart review? So yeah, there's a lot more independence from what my time as an extern or a student clinician was. And that sense of responsibility is drastically different. Yeah. How do you yeah. decide when to go look for help? I mean, right. I talked about this kind of, you know, maybe there is this uh, balance between trying to be independent, mm -hmm. um, you know, but then obviously there are limits. To yeah. That. So how do you navigate that? Well, with me, um, I have this sort of tendency to feel like I'm bothering people, like I'm annoying people, um, like I'm asking too many questions too often. And so I really try to sort through it myself, try to either read, do a scholar search for this word and this word, see what comes up, see what I can figure out, try to come up with a, my own sort of hypothesis of how to approach it. And then if I still feel unsure about it, you know, which I don't know, some percentage of the time, at least I'm able to go in with a demonstration of this is what I thought through. This is, you know, the results of my effort. Um, what do you think of that? Rather than just coming in sort of, how, what do I do? You know, coming in with, this is what I'm going to do. What do you think of that? Is that, mm. is that what you would do too? <laughs> right. Am I way off? Am I close? Where am I? Yeah. I mean, that seems like a great kind of compromise to not just come in and say, what do I do? Um, but to like do some kind of work to come up with a plan, a decision, yeah. an interpretation, and then bring your work to the, a supervisor rather than, I think those CFs and students who are more on that kind of needy end of the spectrum are the ones who aren't doing that work. First, yeah. they're just they're just defaulting into what do I do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind if I? No. It's so interesting, Zach, because I had, and maybe this is unique to the VA, but um, I had a lot more autonomy as a student intern than I did as a CF, um, mm. mainly because of the structure of where I was at, one to one supervision. Um, and I remember one of my mentors before going in was like, you know. They want to shape you into kind of the same clinician that they are, or just, you know, to develop their philosophies. And um, and I found it was so hard to, it was a hard kind of shift for me 
to go from kind of independently coming up with treatment plans and, and processing a patient to going and being part of somebody else's like, I don't know if any of this is making sense, but their kind of sense or philosophy of how treatment should look. And it yeah. was a great experience because I felt like I, you know, I had six different supervisors. So I, I got six different perspectives on mm. how therapy should be, but it was also mentally like fatiguing because I was constantly shifting between one person's perspective of how therapy looked and, um, and how things should be done. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, one of the things that I really am enjoying about being an independent clinician and I'm really grateful for that experience I've had, but is the autonomy that I now have again. And like this sense of, wonder of how I'm going to treat this patient and what the research says and kind of getting back into taking everybody's perspectives and finding my own voice in that. And um, I think from, yeah, it just two different experiences, but, um, but I think that's one of the most, the things I value about being a speech pathologist in a way maybe that I wouldn't have had I not had that CF experience is that the autonomy and the, and the options that, that we have. Yeah. Does everybody here have more than kind of like more than one CF supervisor, right? Hillary, you said there were as many as six SLPs who were supervising you at different times. I had one super different supervisor every day and then a sixth one that would, that was like my head supervisor mm. or would fill in when somebody else was missing. Zach, one, one person. Yeah. One, yeah, um, one. one that is my my direct supervisor, um, and then colleagues that I can ask anytime, you know, to provide sort of guidance. But yeah, one that's putting a signature on. Okay, I see. I see. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, Nairi, you were in you're in a small clinic. Yes, yes, I uh, definitely had one supervisor. Yeah, and one other colleague. Yeah, huh. I also grew up in the VA with multiple supervisors. And I remember how I want to say infuriating, but that's not a very good choice of words. <laughs> it, it was to write a report in this way to kind of appease um, this supervisor. And then another supervisor wanting me to, you know, that's not right. Or, you know, you mm -hmm. should, you need to write it this way. I mean, eventually you kind of figure out how to interact with each one of them separately. And I suppose there is a kind of a benefit there just from the diversity of, of points of view. I had notes of like, which, which supervisors like periods at the end of sentences and which ones didn't. <laughs> and actually as a CF, what I found one of the most beneficial tools was like keeping a little notebook that I had details from like, specific supervisors' preferences regarding notes, regarding assessments, to kind of more general applicable things like the different diet textures that we offer, what was included, what are the differences, because there was a lot of like putting you on different supervisors had different styles. And so just kind of having that information in one place that was like my little black book of, you know, important facts mm. was really helpful. Well. <laughs> Nairi, Hillary, now that you have your C's, do you feel, does it feel harder to go ask for help? No, I mean, when you're a CF, you kind of have a formal excuse, so to speak, for going to, 
to to seek help and advice um having your c's do you feel a little bit more of a push to be autonomous that's a really good question <laughs> um i think as far as my experience I don't know if there's too much of a difference. There's definitely more of a responsibility of I, I should know what to do or um, uh, the questions have shifted, if, if that makes any sense. I think beginning my CF, I was asking questions as far as uh, what type of format should I use for report writing or um, how should I write these chart notes up? Um, Am I billing correctly, for example? Um, but now the questions have shifted where I can ask my colleague, you know, here's this patient and here's my rationale. Uh, what do you think if I took this approach? Um, have you taken a different approach? Do you have a different rationale? Mm. And so far that's been a positive change and a positive experience. So you're just able to kind of ask higher level questions, maybe in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hillary. Yeah. I feel like one of the great things that I really appreciate about, appreciate about where I work is um, that there is, there's very open collaboration. Everybody looks to everyone um, yeah. for mentorship and different people because there's several speech pathologists, different people kind of specialize in different areas. So if you were interested in working more with trach patients, for example, there's somebody who is available that, that would be excited to and willing to mentor you and to help guide you through that. So I never feel like, I never feel like because I'm no longer a CF that I, that I should have the answers or that I, I feel like there's actually even more collaboration because I'm seen as a colleague and they really value my own input on, on different things. So I think that there's more of an opening versus less and more collaboration and sense of relatedness with my colleagues than when I was a right. CF. More of uh, a true peer relationship kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And that being said, there is sometimes like some areas that I feel like I'm like outside swallow evaluations, for example, that. I'm making my own decisions on them. And sometimes I question myself and I'm like, have to check with a colleague. And, and, and sometimes yeah. they're like, you got to just make the choice. It's you're, you're independent. Right. So it's, it's kind of a, a weaning process of like, Oh gosh, <laughs> it's my responsibility, but also kind of a freedom and liberation of, wow, we are in this together and we're colleagues and we're mentoring one another equally. Are you um, doing modified barium swallow studies? I am. Are you independent I'm, now? I'm still supervised. Okay. All right. <laughs> because And my supervisor is like, you need to just trust yourself. Like that's still an area, like swallowing was an area I did not have any student externship yeah. or internship experience with. And it was an area of very low confidence of mine. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems and, to be a little bit of a higher stakes in terms of, yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, I was thinking about Zach saying how he would prepare a lot to get to a level of confidence. And I remember when I got independent with doing modified barium swallow studies or told I would be independent, I would just 
spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, here's the three or four people I'm going to do this afternoon. Here's their medical history. Um, these are these are the things I might see. And if I see this, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and if I see that, I'm going to do that because... As you know, in, in those studies, I mean, you don't get a lot of time to make decisions. Is everybody here doing modifieds? I do a little bit. Zach? I, I'm not anymore. Um, as, oh. an, as an extern at the Nashville VA, certainly. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and even within acute care um, at, at Vanderbilt during my student as a student clinician you're doing modifieds but now within the outpatient rehab not anymore yeah yeah zach you mentioned graduating and everybody kind of scattering to the wind do you do you still keep in contact with some of the people who are your classmates and have you heard their stories or about their cfy experience yeah um yeah keep in touch certainly with the the few that stayed local um, mm -hmm. uh, and the ones that I really stay in contact with uh, are doing their CFs within the schools. Um, so we can relate as far as, you know, a lot of this feelings of competence and confidence, but you know, which yeah. is great to commiserate about, but not into the neurogenic communication disorders as much. Yeah. Required. The settings are pretty yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. Hillary, Nairi, did you guys keep in contact with classmates? Did you guys compare? Did you compare notes at all, or were you just handful for me? Yeah. Um, yeah, there were a few people that I would talk to weekly, and we'd commiserate, and by commiserate, just be like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm so tired. I don't know how much more I can do. Like, are we going to make it through? What? Why did we choose this profession? Like." We're working how many hours per day? And, you know, I'd come from a variety of different jobs. And I'm like, I would made more money. I had more time. Like, yeah. So I think there was a lot of like, it was nice to hear, you know, they did their fellowships in a medical setting as well. And it was nice to hear similar related experiences. Just, I think, that are universal to just be new yeah. at something. And and coming from school, you, you feel as, somewhat sense of confidence because you've at the end of your school you've kind of mastered the school part i'm sorry hillary <laughs> yeah what were You're you saying censored. do you remember <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you don't know um oh. well maybe this is an omen yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> that maybe we should start to wrap it up but what i was going to ask was for for students graduating and about to go into their CF is that is there anything one can do to prepare or is it just something that you dive in and you man you know you you manage day by day something that worked for me was being a little picky about my placement for my clinical fellowship i have some peers that are in the school setting and they're making a whole lot more than I am. And, you know, every setting there's different pay and whatnot, but their productivity is so high. Um, their job satisfaction is very low. 
And I think what helped me was picking a supervisor that wanted to supervise and that wanted to teach and mentor. And I think that helps, even if it means a little less pay. (laughs) So I think just being mindful of what you want and also going into the fellowship experience, knowing that you don't know it all and having a strategy like keeping up with some reading on mm-hmm. theories, treatments, that's been very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Um, in regards to still being a student, keeping notes and slides well organized and mm. downloading them all <laughs> and having them so that you can easily refer to them has been, I'm very glad that I did that. Um, that was a huge godsend for me. And I think as a student clinician, something I wish I would have done would would be to have um, done a bit more kind of treatment planning in my head before going in and, and talking with whoever my supervisor was at the time and just taking their approach, you know, to try to start generating my philosophy of how to approach things and start developing that confidence back then rather than, you know, beginning of your CF. That's a great point because I mean, the way we, we uh, develop confidence is by solving these problems ourselves. The time to practice solving those problems is right away. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And I'll say too, as, as far as confidence, Hillary brought up like, um, cooperation and sort of colleagues seeking her opinion on on difficult patients and that's been happening for me too. And, and what a confidence booster that is, um, you know, to, to have colleagues that, you know, have the experience ask you for your thoughts on it and be able to offer thoughts and sort of a low pressure, like, well, this is probably what I would do, you know, and then having them give feedback on that, whether it be positive or I've already tried that is, is such a like, Oh, cool. This is, I'm, I'm okay at this. <laughs> this is where I should be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, been doing this for a long time, but um, I need occasionally, I need some confirmation from someone who I know they might not have much experience, but I genuinely trust their sensitivities, so to speak, their, um, their, uh, their opinions. So, yeah, I can see how that would be satisfying. Mike, from a, you, you've supervised mm-hmm. many students. You've had many CFs. Um, what do you think it might entail to, to, ha- to have a good CF or to be a good CF? Um, I definitely think that you know a couple people here have mentioned reading i don't think you can do too much of that as i said for me reading as a cfy as a therapist was just a different experience and so i think my learning was a lot more conceptual rather than kind of more on the memoriz- wrote memorization perhaps and i and i do think just p- practically speaking that you know, CFs do have to, as much as possible, practice 
trying to solve these problems on their own and strike that balance, pushing their independence, but knowing when for the good of the patient that you check in with, with somebody else. Um, and I think, you know, just be willing to take feedback, um, whether you agree with it or not. Um, I think part of being a successful therapist is knowing how to get along with other therapists in your clinic and kind of whatever, even politics there might be in your clinic, just get along. And, um, and uh, I, I've certainly seen um, CFs and, and newer therapists kind of really be unsuccessful, not so much because their clinical skills, they didn't have that, uh, uh, those abilities, but uh, because of some of the interpersonal stuff and because they were maybe a little bit too sensitive about um, receiving feedback, they took it too personally. I think, I don't know if it's just been my experience, but I think in medical settings, I always had the sense that there was a certain kind of, uh, there was a certain culture of feedback that could be a little bit blunt. Um, my CFY supervisor, even if he's listening to this, I'm sure he won't mind me saying <laughs> blunt as hell. Um, you know, we're good friends now, but uh, I remember how much that at times got to me. And, um, you know, I think I, I, I could have done a better job there. So, Mike, I think I really learned from you know, we work with a lot of residents at the VA and I really learned from watching them get feedback because it is very blunt in the yeah. medical setting and it is very direct, do this, or that didn't, it's just very straightforward. And it was such a lesson to me to see how they were able to be like, okay, okay, great. Got it. And then they would change whatever they were doing or it's like, wow, what a, like, that takes a lot of work to be able to, yeah. to be okay. not take it personally. And to learn from that kind of feedback. Yeah, I mean, I think as a, as a CF supervisor, you have to have trust with your CF. I think if you have a good relationship, then you can be blunt and it will all mm -hmm. be kind of in context. But if you yeah. don't have a good relationship with your supervisor, the supervisor doesn't have a good relationship with their clinical fellow, then mm -hmm. the chances that feedback will be taken the wrong way, misinterpreted, just kind of goes up exponentially. Yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you guys uh, for spending this hour of your Sunday. Um, I think, uh, I think students and maybe some students for sure will find this helpful thinking about going into their CF. Um, People in their CF might get a little, for those who are out there alone, and there are some of them who are out there alone, maybe a little um, consolation there. And, um, and CF supervisors too, remembering what it was like. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Mike, before we go, can I add one thing? Yeah, absolutely. We were, talking, we were just talking about... Um, Kind of that trend 
or can't remember what the exact question was, but I've had this unique opportunity of having finished my clinical fellowship. And now we have another clinical fellow ah, who, uh-huh. you know, so, and I really think seeing it now from the other side is that like enthusiasm, like people who are excited to be there and to learn and are okay with like making mistakes, but are trying. I think that really yeah. <laughs> is the number one key. Um, to being a good clinical felt is just being willing to as silly as it is just being open willing to learn and kind of excited to be there and you know we went through the whole interview process as well and the people who stand out the most are aren't necessarily the ones with the most experience or the best answers to our clinical questions but they're the ones that are kind of thoughtful and interested and engaged um, and i think that really is what you know, if you can stay in that space during your fellowship, then in the end, you'll end up doing well. Or as you suggest, applying for a CFY, because I think clinics aren't just, clinics are are hiring a project too. Yeah. You know, in a sense, and, um, and there's effort that goes into mentoring somebody and, you know, you you just want someone who you know really wants to be mentored. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, and then go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, you said about being okay with making mistakes and it made me think of like a, 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 a big shift for me was after making the first mistake, like, oh, how much pressure was off then? So like it was a small mistake. So thank God, but it was like, Oh, good. Now I can just perform and not be thinking about this, you know, record, but anyways, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of get used to it for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kinda, like kind of getting used to not knowing exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or when somebody points out a mistake, you didn't know you made being like, okay, well, that's really, that's important information. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was the first mistake I should say that I noticed. <laughs> I don't know if there was many others that others <laughs> tell me about. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, guys, thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ANCDS podcast. To learn more about the Academy of Neurologic Communication Disorders and Sciences, please visit www.ancds.org.